go now to the voice of KU, Brian Haney. And welcome back in Sports Daily, everybody. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, and we are joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Brian, it has been a whirlwind, I know. Happy New Year. Um, big win last night for you guys in Lubbock on the hardwood, but let's start with football because that was as wild as you can get against Arkansas at the Liberty Bowl. Uh, looking back on it now, where will that one, and I know the outcome wasn't what we wanted, but where will that one rank for you as, as all-timers uh, being in the booth? Wow, it's it's certainly up there. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those games, one of those rare games where you lose the game, but you walk out of there kind of feeling like you won because you witnessed something so special with the comeback, that was so rare. I mean, so many things had to happen for Kansas to have a chance. And, you know, when you talk about rattling off, what ended up being 32 straight points, if you include the first time, the first touchdown of overtime, uh, 25 in a row to force overtime, just unreal. I mean, an onside kick for a coach who said he never had one in his career, and we get one in that moment. A, a takeaway with three minutes to go, you're out of timeouts. Arkansas is averaging six yards a carry. It's second and 11. All they got to do is hand it off and, and rush it straight forward. And if they have two good runs, the game's on ice. And instead, they get creative and get kind of cute and try to run a reverse. And Marvin Grant has a big hit that jars loose the ball, and Kobe Bryant scoops it up. And then on top of that, you know, Jalen Daniels, who goes from outhouse to penthouse, he was having one of his worst games as a Jayhawk halfway through the third quarter. And he finishes doing something that no quarterback has ever done in a bowl game with 500 passing yards, five passing TDs, one rushing TD. No FBS quarterback in a bowl game has ever done that. And, uh, and this is a guy that, you know, halfway through the third quarter, we're wondering, is he going to be able to figure this out? Because he'd had as many interceptions in the first half as he'd had all season combined, and they weren't moving the ball. And so for them to be able to flip the switch that quickly and have all three phases of the game – Offense, defense, and special teams do what it did. You know, defense, four straight punts forced before the takeaway, so five straight stops. Special teams gets the, the great onside kick. I mean, it was just an unbelievable sequence of events where if one little thing doesn't happen, you don't pull off the comeback. But everything that needed to happen did, including for Daniels, just an unbelievable final you know, quarter and a half in overtime. It, it sets him now ahead of Todd Reasoning for the greatest passing day in KU history. So I'll definitely remember it very fondly. I'll remember the turnout our Jayhawk fans had in Memphis the night before where they took over Beale Street and they were fabulous. Uh, and I'll remember KU in a bowl year where the Big 12 didn't have the best of showings. You know, we showed like we belonged. And, and we absolutely had a performance that, that wound up being one of the more riveting and exciting bowl games. And even though we didn't win, uh, so much to hold your head high about, and that's what I remember most about that bowl trip. Brian, walk me through the end of the fourth quarter and uh, the the various overtimes, uh, and specifically about Jalen Daniels. You mentioned, um, you know, how he played early in the game and how that transitioned into later in the game and figuring it out. The tenacity, the dedication. He definitely had a moment where it was like, put the team on his shoulders, and he's going to go out and do everything that he can, leave it all on the line to try to get the victory. Talk a little bit about your emotions during those overtimes, uh, and and as it was going back and forth with Arkansas, how you were feeling in the booth. 
Well, to start with Jalen, I think that there were a couple of throws that finally settled him down. Um, there was a throw down the right sideline that Lawrence Arnold caught on, on a perfect pass where he really had to place it only where LJ could catch it. And sure enough, he did just that. And then a couple of sequences later, a different drive, there was a, a, a deeper ball. I want to say a deep ball, but, you know, maybe a 20-yard pass upfield, which everything prior to that had been to the outsides many times just laterally in the flat. He goes 20 yards downfield to Luke Grimm, who catches it and then runs 25 more yards after the catch. He ends up being a 45-yard catch and run. And I think after those two throws, he really settled in. But Because before that, and Lance Leipold made reference to this, he didn't look like the same guy in terms of confidence. He had fumbled a snap. We didn't lose the ball on, but his, his hands were shaking. He then got wide eyes. And as I mentioned, he had the two picks that you go back to his first five games of the season and the last two games of the season after the injury, he only had two picks all year. And so I think when he completed those two passes, particularly the Luke Grimm one, where, where Luke did all that, that damage after the catch, we really saw him settle in. And then he started taking chances vertically more. Because before that, I think he was genuinely afraid to make another mistake and turn it over again. But as he started to string together big throw after big throw and, and touchdown after touchdown, you know, we're kind of looking at ourselves and we're doing the math and we're thinking, why not us? Why not now? David Lawrence did a great job of, of saying on the air a couple of times that every bowl season there's that one crazy finish. Why can't it be Kansas? And, and so we started, you know, talking about how the math would add up and what it would take. And, you know, our emotions were, we were just kind of pinching ourselves. Is this really happening? And then, you know, I, I think we all thought, as many fans did who left the stadium, that when Arkansas completed the big ball over the middle to go inside Kansas territory, we take our last time out after we stop them for a one-yard loss to make it second and 11 with three minutes to go at the Kansas 30-yard line. Fans are filing out. We're out of timeouts. As I said earlier, you're just expecting Arkansas to, to hand it off, rush it straight forward, and pretty much put this game on ice. All of a sudden, they get cute, and they run this reverse, and we're like, did that really happen? And, and to be honest with you, in a non-homer you know, homer take, when we looked at the replay of the fumble, it really seemed like the guy possessed it all the way to the ground. And Brandon McAnderson and I both kind of thought, oh, man, we've seen this before. This is going to get overturned because it looked like it was it was flush up against his right forearm before he hit the ground and the ground jarred it loose. And I don't want to say, well, it was me, but when you're a program that's been at the bottom for so long, you're used to not getting those calls. But it wound up being one of those classic cases of because the call on the field was a fumble, they didn't have just clear cuts. Uh, you know, reversible evidence that was completely conclusive, right? And so they kept the call on the field as it stood. And when we caught that break, we're like, wait a minute, th this could really happen. Still had to get the onside kick and two touchdowns, but we went from thinking the game's over, they're just going to run out the clock to, uh-oh, like, we could still do this. And I've heard from probably 10 Jayhawk fans, and I know there's many, many more than that, but I've heard from 10 personal friends they were in the stadium and left at that point, one of which was in an Uber and was listening on the app and told the Uber driver, hang on, I got to run back in. Uh, others were already in traffic driving away and just listened to the rest of the game. But so many folks thought it was over. 
and yet, you know, the unthinkable happens, starting with Arkansas's decision, but but continuing on through that onside kick, two very, very improbable things that, that kept this thing alive. It, it as we look forward now, that one's in the rearview mirror. What what are priorities this off season for KU football? How and what is the path to get better next year than what ended up being historically a pretty magical year for the program? Well, I think the roster continuity will be something that allows you to get better, even without the the pieces that are added to it. The fact that you know, on our senior day, we just said goodbye to 12 guys. I, I got to be a part of K-State senior day when they honored 28. And the reason is you got a lot of guys that, that are bought into this program and this culture, and they're going to take that COVID year and come back. And, and they think that what we just witnessed is just the tip of the iceberg, and they can do that and then some next year. And so I think just by having so many experienced players coming back and, and uh, you're only saying goodbye to a handful of starters that's really, really exciting. And so just with an extra uh, year of seasoning for all of these guys who just had the additional month of, of bowl prep, uh, spring ball, believe it or not, starts February 28th, so exactly two months from when the, the game was played. In Memphis, they'll be back at it again. And in my estimation, you know, you've got a, a preseason all-conference quarterback on a team that's going to return 90% of its starters or close to it. I think they have a chance to be top 25 in some of these preseason publications. And, and that you know, may sound like a stretch to some, but if not ranked, then and certainly just outside of it to start the year. And so uh, they'll clearly you know, have some uh, portal additions that they'll eventually add that will factor in as well to fill a few of those gaps. But you look up and down the, the respective depth chart, and there's just so much coming back that gives you so much hope and excitement. So I think that just by, you know, Staying where your boots are planted and, and getting better right where you're at with the guys we have right now is going to make us so much better because, it, guys, we're going to be playing with a lot of 23- and 24-year-olds next year that are in their fifth and sixth seasons in some cases of college football uh, because they're exercising that COVID year. And, and they could have gone other places, but Lance Leipold in two years showed them, hey, we want you to spend that COVID year with us. Look at what we're doing here. Why would you want to go anywhere else? And so I'm really excited. You know, Jalen will be a senior next year, but he technically could have two more years to go. And, and the Jalen Daniels we saw you know, closing out this season, to me, looks like a guy that will not only compete to be a first-team All-Big 12 quarterback, but could compete to be an All-American. And uh, that's not a stretch, guys, because through five weeks in, in this season, he was sixth in the Heisman balloting – or Heisman – projections i should say in vegas so um i mean that's, that's a guy that gives you a whole lot of belief and, and uh momentum heading into next year so i think it, it, certainly there's there's things they can add to it but but just starting with the guys you got and, and look at how much experience and age you have coming back there should be great expectation that that this club it starts with a six win uh you know minimum and, and hopefully you're talking about a club that can win seven or eight well, Brian, let's uh, shift gears now since football is all wrapped up and take a look at basketball. Uh, since the last time we talked to you, two conference games in the books for the Jayhawks, a big-time comeback over the weekend inside Allen Fieldhouse against Oklahoma State, and then that three-point victory against Texas Tech on the road in Lubbock last night. Talk a little bit about where you think the, the Jayhawks squad is right now, especially after that hard-fought game and that hard-fought win against Texas Tech last night. 
Well, I think where are they at right now? They're probably still in their beds. We got home at 2 a.m. in the morning, and uh, <laughs> you're my first phone call of the day. So it's, it's good to wake up to, to your great voices. Uh, but, but where are they at as a team? I think they're realizing that this conference is just a freaking gauntlet. It, it's a meat grinder, man. And uh, I, I hope we all have, uh, you know, we're all doing our, our cardiovascular workouts because this season's going to be tough on the ticker if we keep having these one possession finishes. But you probably heard us reference it, and I'm sure you saw it on Twitter the other day that, um, you know, heading into this week, ESPN's BPI ranked the, the strength of schedule, remaining schedules for all one or 362 teams in division one college basketball, 362 teams strength of your remaining schedule and the top 10 toughest remaining schedules were all 10 teams in the big 12 conference, all 10 teams. And, and what that means is, you know, obviously with the double round robin format, you're playing everybody that can skew it a little bit, but it means there's no bottom feeders in our league. You've legitimately got 10 teams that could all be NCAA tournament teams. In fact, Fran Priscilla said as much a couple of weeks ago. Now, you're going to beat up on each other to the point where some records might not allow that when it's all said and done. But heading into it, based on the non-conferences we just witnessed, and, and, you know, shoot, Oklahoma State had as many non-con losses as anybody, and they darn near won an Allen Fieldhouse. And, you know, Bill Self was telling me this on our pregame. It's like, some of the projections he looks at says that we're the number three team in the country, but we're projected to go 12 and six based on some of these computer forecasts and all that. And 12 and six could win the league this year, which normally you're talking 14 and four type record to, to win the league. So uh, that's how competitive it's going to be. And yet Kansas two games in though, they've had to sweat them is sitting there at two and zero. Oh, and if you could get through this week with another win in Morgantown, a place that historically has been a real bugaboo for Kansas, a real thorn in the side. If you could get to 3-0 and with two of your toughest road venues out of the way, wow, you feel pretty good at that point. That's like for you golfers out there, you know, parring or, or birdieing the, the two toughest handicap holes, uh, you know, early in the round and feeling like you've already got a couple of strokes up on the field. So that's what's at stake on Saturday. But how are they feeling right now? I think they're feeling like – We've got something with K.J. Adams. This kid's special. I mean, the way he's played these first two conference games, 16 last night, went for – he's averaging now 15 in league play. He's been fantastic. And, uh, you know, you take a look at uh, what DeWan Harris did, and he's not going to give you what he did last night every night. But he goes two for two from three in the second half versus Oklahoma State when we're down 15 and we got nothing going. And they're sagging off of him like most teams have done. They won't do that anymore. He goes two for two, and he kind of gives us that shot in the arm to ignite the comeback. And then yesterday, on a night where Kevin McCullough gets early foul trouble and uh, Grady Dick was inconsistent in the first half and all that, he goes five for five from three. And and when you got that falling and, and that kind of uh, dangerous weapon on the outside on top of what everything else he does as a distributor and facilitator, it just makes you so much more dynamic. And so for those two guys – who are clearly your fourth and fifth scoring options by a long ways to step up and do what they did. It just shows you how complete this Kansas team can be because Jalen Wilson's not going to have too many more nights where he gets shut down in the second half offensively like he was last night. And, um, you know, the teams clearly are trying to, to take Grady Dick out of it and, and shots, you know, are going to be tougher to come by. It's good that he's got such a quick release and high release point. He'll eventually you know, find his rhythm. I thought he's done a lot for Kansas on the glass these last two games. 
to uh, you know to show that that he'll contribute in other ways until the offense comes a little more. But uh, yeah, I mean, on a night when Kevin McCullough struggled and, and Tech's defense was was throwing several guys, uh, you know, into a, a situation where they were well below their typical average. You saw other guys emerge, and I think that's a sign of a good team. You can win in a multitude of ways. And so I was really pleased with that. And I think as a Kansas basketball fan, you just got to buckle up, hang on tight, and know that these next 16 games and the, the trip to Kentucky, obviously, but the next 16 Big 12 games are going to be a situation in a league where on any given night, regardless of venue, anybody can win. And, you know, we always like to try to go 9-0 and at home in the league and, and sometimes 8-1. It's going to be tougher to do this year, as good as this league is. But keep plucking off some of these road wins when you can get them and hold serve as much as you can in the fog. But Bill Self now has a 95% winning percentage and 300 wins all time. And, and whether it's 12 wins or, or 14 or, or something in between or just above, I think this Kansas team has a great shot to give Self his 17th Big 12 title in 20 years, which is remarkable. And this one, even though it seemingly said every year how good the league is, this one really might be you know, the toughest year to do it based on the, the conference top-to-bottom strength. And, and I think that will continue to prove itself to be the case over these next two months. Yeah, buckle up. It's going to be a blast. All right, Brian, we'll catch up on some sleep there. We appreciate it. Uh, we know that sleep's important for you as we make our way through the crossover and now can just focus on hoops. It is, and you set me up for the uh, the great advertisement we give our guys at the Mattress Hub. Love sleeping in my own bed. It was good being back in Lubbock and seeing old friends where I used to work. But, man, the, the, the pillows and the mattress just weren't the same. I have the purple mattress, which I told you guys about from the Mattress Hub. I also now have a purple pillow. I know K-State fans are making jokes. But it's the name of the company, and, and it really is some of the softest, just best technology for neck support and back support. I'm a – former athlete, if, if that's probably being generous, call myself an athlete, but I'm a guy that still tries to be one, and I need the support for my back and neck from previous sports injuries, and so I found the right fit for the most comfortable night's sleep and the most restorative sleep for my health. You can do the same, whether it's Tempur-Pedic or any number of, of mattress lines. They've got them all there at the Mattress Hub, and they've got great customer service to find the best night's sleep for you. So check them out today at the Mattress Hub and the MattressHub.com website as well. Guys, appreciate you both so much. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, we'll look forward to hopefully talking about a 2-0 week out on the road next time we touch base. There goes Brian Haney. Brian, we appreciate it. Voice of the Kansas Jayhawks joining us each and every Wednesday as we make our way now full-time into basketball season. Tommy and I will be back. we got a giveaway when we return. Stay tuned for that on Sports Daily. Sports Daily.